listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. We've been talking about the five women that are the female ancestors of Jesus, if you will, the five mothers of Jesus. In the genealogy of Jesus, we see this odd list of women. It's not who we would expect. If you're going to list women in the first place, which is very scandalous, very shocking, one might think you would include Sarah, the wife of Abraham, or Rebecca, or maybe even Leah and Rachel, but no. Matthew includes these five very unusual suspects. In Genesis chapter 38, we were introduced to Tamar, who has to deceive her father-in-law, but yet she trusts that God will provide Messiah. And we were introduced to a, a Canaanite prostitute from Jericho. Not exactly who you want in your family tree, but there she is. And she trusts that God will provide a conqueror in the person of Joshua, and God does. We moved a little bit further through the book of Joshua, through the time of the judges, to the book of Ruth. And we met this Moabitess who was damaged goods and discarded. And yet she trusted that God would provide a redeemer in the person of Boaz. And God did. And then last week we talked about this woman who's really not even named in the genealogy, Uriah's wife. Because it's, it's a horrible story of betrayal and, and death and, and adultery and Bathsheba is taken and her offspring produces the line that will one day bring the king of kings and the lord of lords which brings us now a thousand years after the time of david and bathsheba to the time when just like now for many of you it was always winter and never christmas the nation of israel was under the heavy occupation of the roman empire this was not how it was supposed to go Israel is the chosen people, the nation of God, who is supposed to be the light in the dark world that shows all the rest of the world how to be. And yet they are afflicted, they are oppressed, they are downtrodden and outcast. Into that circumstance, into that context, we meet a young woman named Mary. Now we're going to spend just a brief amount of time this morning, because it's Christmas Eve morning, but there's so much richness to draw from this fifth mother of Jesus, of course, in this case, the actual mother of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I'll begin reading here momentarily in verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, just to give you a little bit of an on-ramp, Luke is a Gentile. He's a Greek, and he's writing the story of the coming of Messiah, and his big point is that Jesus is the man. Matthew says that Jesus is the king. Mark says he's the suffering servant. John says that Jesus is God. But Luke wants us to know that Jesus is the man. So he tells the story of the, the signs that begin to occur as Christ approaches in his advent. And a high priest named Zechariah who is old and is married to a woman named Elizabeth. And she is barren. And he is busy doing his work in the temple around the altar of incense. And Gabriel, the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and says, Yo, Z, you're about to have a baby. To which he says, Hamana, 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 and what are you going to say about that? And he says, That can't be. I'm, I'm well in my years, and you may not have noticed, but my wife Elizabeth, yeah, she's not exactly fruitful. And the angel says, that's, that's, that's really interesting that you say that. How about you not talk again for nine months? 
And for many of us, we're thinking, hmm, is that a blessing or a curse? I'm not, I'm not real sure. But there they live near Jerusalem. And in the fifth months, or the fifth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Now, I just, I just want you to, to see this in your mind, the astonishing, shocking, surprising grace that that is. Gabriel was sent from God. That's a pretty great home base. He is sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This is kind of like saying, I'm going to send... I'm going to send an emissary, an ambassador from London, England, from Paris, France, from New York City to South Carthage. Like, it doesn't get more hickey than Nazareth. Okay? Nazareth is in the sticks. It's up in the hills. Nobody hangs out in Nazareth. It's where you live if you can't live anyplace else. God sends Gabriel, his angel, to Nazareth to... The mayor's daughter, no, doesn't say that, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, in our day, we've sort of lost the, the sting of what this means. Betrothal is essentially marriage. It is a commitment. The fathers have agreed to terms. The transactions have been processed. Contracts are signed. The marriage is a done deal. All that has to happen is that they have to live together. The son of the father, Joseph, has to build the extra room to bring his future wife to, but they are in relationship. They simply do not live together yet, and the marriage has not been consummated. Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, if you've read your New Testament, you know that Mary is about as common as Smith. Every daughter was named Mary, Mariam, like the sister of Moses. She's nothing significant. She's nothing special. She's probably a 15-year-old girl that lives in the hicks and the sticks Nothing. And yet, God's surprising grace comes to her. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. <laughs> now, we have a hard time translating this. This expression that Gabriel calls Mary is very surprising. It only occurs one other time in the whole of the New Testament. O favored one. It's just really a long compound word that I think Gabriel, being an angel, he just makes it up. And later the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1.6, he will use the same word. Greetings, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's charis, it's grace, it's shalom. May it be well with you, O you who are highly favored with God. Period. Not you, the sharpest knife in the drawer. No, no. Not you, the freshest sandwich in the fridge. No, no. You. Your title, your deal, the reason I'm talking to you is because God's crazy about you. It's because you're his favorite, Mary. Oh, I know. You bring nothing to the table. You are a 15-year-old female in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. And God sends his messenger to say, it's you. I love you, oh, highly favored one. Well, we're going to continue. 
And he says, greetings of the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern. She dialogizomai. She analyzed. She tried to figure out, hold on a second. How can this be? How can I be the one? You're not in Jerusalem. You're in Nazareth, Gabriel. How am I the one? She did some churning. Our thinking matters to God, you see. She tried to figure it out what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Second time we're told that it's nothing that she has done. She is the recipient of this surprising grace simply because God says so. And behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Most parents that I know, they get to name their child. Not when an angel shows up. And there's a reason for that. It's because this child is actually eternally older than his parents. You don't get to name that which pre-exists you. So he, she is told by the angel, you will name him Yeshua, God saves. He will be salvation incarnate, salvation and redemption personified. Verse 32, he will be great. And once you look at the five things that Gabriel says this Jesus will be, number one, he will be great. And we think, oh, sure, because 2,000 years, we're still talking about him. But mm, he will be great. He's dead by his early 30s, hanged, shamed, naked, beaten, tortured on a cross, never having a big building named after him, not till much, much later, not having written any great poetry. He will be great. Oh, yes, he will be the greatest. And he will be called the son of the most high. The son of anything is like saying the exact replica. He's the chip off the old block. He himself is the most high. This is the angel's way of saying this son of yours is deity. He is divine. He is God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will be the one who rules. He will be the one who leads his people Israel. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, the people of Israel, forever. This is an eternal being in your womb, Mary. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He will never not reign. Oh, it might not look like you expect, but this is how it's going to go. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? But it's not that she doubts, it's that she simply doesn't understand. Critical difference between Zechariah. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Just because the Father loves you so much, he will send his Spirit to overshadow you. I don't know what that means. And there will be conceived a new physical life within you. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, gee, I don't know. This is a lot to take in. I'm going to have to pray about this. No. And Mary said, behold, I am the doule. I am the slave. I'm bound to you. She answers with service, humility, and submission. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That is how we open Christmas gifts, by the way. We don't ask questions we don't look for the receipt. We simply say, let it be exactly as you have done. And then we tear into it like a wild badger. That's how we open Christmas presents. Well, Mary takes a little trip. In those days, Mary arose because things were about to get a little bit tight 
in Nazareth. So, so she leaves and she goes down to the hill country of Judah, probably around Jerusalem, where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, guided, led, directed, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, I've said that to people a time or three, and it got me some strange looks. And so I've, I've changed my congratulatory message about pregnancy. But Elizabeth is having a moment here. Blessed are you. See, all through the Old Testament, particularly in Daniel, women always hoped that they might be the bearer, the bringer of Messiah. And Elizabeth, who's married to the high priest, says, it's you. Blessed are you. And why is this granted to me? This is Elizabeth talking. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She understands that the baby in the belly of her cousin is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Why am I the recipient of such surprising grace? To which God answers, because my grace is surprising. Praise God. Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is the one, or blessed is she, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed are you, Mary, because you believed this which is a bit of a Christmas challenge in and of itself. Well, this is where I want to spend just a little bit of time. Mary's response, her great-grand song, the Magnificat. And I, I tell you, I don't know that there is such a thing. But if there's a way, one day, in heaven, for me to hear this song, some holy Spotify, I don't know what it is, some perfect Pandora, I don't know what it is. But I want you to just imagine... Mary, now pregnant, out of wedlock, 15-year-old Hebrew girl from the sticks at her cousin's home in Jerusalem. Listen to her response. What might this sound like? This is her song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, my very life, everything that I am, everything that I have, everything is desperate to make a big deal about God. It's a 15-year-old Hebrew girl with zero education, and yet somehow she gets it. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Who am I? Nobody. But because God has found favor with me, I will be remembered for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. This sounds so much like the psalm that Hannah sings in the beginning of 1 Samuel. Just praising God for the miracle of life. Verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home after John the baptizer apparently was born. 
which simply brings me to this. Mary, somehow, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, has the insight, has the recognition, has the understanding that this one that she carries will be the fundamental solution to the fundamental human problem. It's right there in verse 53. He will satisfy the hungry. Only the word hungry there is not like an appetite for food. It is he will fill the longing one. This is, this is Christmas. Every single one of us in some way, shape, or form has a longing. And this season rolls around once a year and it's, it's packed full of images and, and icicles and Lexuses with bows in the driveway and all sorts of decorations hanging from the city streets. And we think, that's it. That's what's going to fill me. That's going to take away my longing. And then January hits. It's like, I'm not full. Something is missing. See, I think Mary understood what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that God has made us. He has planted eternity in our hearts. In other words, we will never be satisfied. The longing within us will never be salved with anything temporal, ever. Relationships, finances, whatever. We will only be filled with the eternal. And Mary, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Oh, my God. He's come to fulfill the longing of every human heart. He is the answer. Now, we may hear this story of Mary and realize that, yes, she is another in the genealogy of Jesus. We had Tamar hoping for a Messiah. We had Rahab hoping for a conqueror. We had Ruth hoping for a redeemer. Bathsheba looking to a king. And Mary now hoping in the Son. And we have the opportunity to do all the same things. We are the church. But we might hear that and say, yeah, you know what? That's nice and all. I get it. Mary sort of hit the, the heavenly lottery. She's the one. But I'm a dude in East Texas trying to pay my mortgage in a, in, a, in a tough marriage with kids that don't respect me or whatever your situation might be. That's, that's great for her, but what about me? <laughs> you might remember that I said that when Gabriel tells Mary, oh, highly favored one, that expression is used again. And it's used of us. Paul says in Ephesians 1.6, we are the highly favored ones. All of us who believe are just like Mary. And just like Mary, in a very real sense, those who believe, who receive the gift, he takes up residence within us. That's the glory of the gospel, the incarnation of Christ. He dwells within us. And so, in a very real sense, <laughs> this manger it's me. It's me. Rough-hewn. Megan and I were talking earlier, of course, actual mangers in Palestine 2,000 years ago were rough-hewn stone. If you've ever been in a shepherd's cave where the, the Christ child was born, it smells. It's dirty. It's nasty. It's got all kinds of mess. And into that rough-hewn, stained, smelly mess comes the Son of God. This whole Christmas, I've just been thinking, my goodness, this is my story. This is my song. I am he in whom the glory of God has been laid. It's me. 
Now, for some of you this Christmas Eve, perhaps you need to hear that for the first time, and you're still thinking, right, but what do I do to get him to come, to to fulfill my longing? Stop. Tear up your list. He's not going to check it twice. No, you, you, you believe that what he has spoken in his word, like he did to Mary, is true. And you believe and you give your life to it. You live in the world like it's true. You look at the world like it's true. You love in the world as if it's true. And you say to God, I am your manger. Would you be rested in me? For the rest of you, this Christmas season, perhaps it's the opportunity to look around and realize, oh gosh, I have tried to convince myself, I have tried to deceive myself that my manger is actually glorious in and of itself. You've gone to Pottery Barn, you put some crown molding on your manger, you febrezed it, and you think, I got the pretty great manger, baby Jesus, you're welcome, you're welcome. Christmas comes and says, no, he comes to 15-year-old girls in the sticks, and he comes to middle-aged guys in East Texas. And it's an opportunity to look at the manger and go, there's nothing special about this thing. And into that context, the Son of God wants to give the gift that fulfills every longing, that satisfies every human heart. If I could give a gift to all of you, I would simply say, whatever it is, and I mean this with the boldness of heaven, whatever it is that hurts, whatever it is that you're holding on to, would you in your heart and in your mind simply make that a manger? This Christmas season, the Son of God would come all over again. May he be born in all of our hearts. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the miracle of Christmas. But the story's not over there. Father, we thank you that your faithful servant Mary, against all odds, that she birthed the Son of God. Father, we thank you that the Son of God became the Son of men so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. And that is the story of Christmas, that we who fear the temporary, we who fear our finitude, our our short-lived lives, that you, by grace, have given us eternity. And not only that, while we live in this age, you have also given us the gift of fulfillment, of significance, meaning, matter, and worth. And so we thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. May his light shine among every person in this room. And if there is anyone here this morning, Father, who doesn't know you, would you move irresistibly by your spirit and find favor with them and take up residence within them. And for the rest of us, Father, would you help us to not be in the manger polishing business, but simply making it ready for your presence. We ask all these things in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand for a word of benediction. It will be brief. It goes like this. Go, tell it on the mountain. God bless. Merry Christmas. You are dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.